Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today I'm speaking with Katie Ebbett, a poet and therapist living in New York City. I think I want to begin talking a little bit about community just because I I guess I associate you with kind of community building and um, I was kind of strange reflecting this morning just thinking about what I wanted to talk about, how much the cult has been involved in kind of the community structures that I've built. So I wanted to talk about that a little. My family comes from a Catholic background, and I wasn't raised Catholic, but I do think there's so much ceremony in Catholicism, and um, particularly, I think, since my family was raised Irish Catholic, and I think the women were much more religious than their male counterparts, there's a lot of reverence for the cult of the Virgin and just a lot of iconography um, and kind of, I think, prayerfulness and also kind of art practice that came out of the Virgin. Um, And I guess I was just thinking about kind of community structures that I've belonged in and kind of the aestheticism which has been attached to all of those things and I think for me connectivity is so it's a spiritual practice and um, yeah so I've just I've been thinking about that Um, and I feel like you can see that a lot in your poetry yeah I I mean my My poetry, I think it's, I really do write for myself. It's something, you know, I I think there are very few things I feel kind of are singularly mine. And I think like sex is one of those things and poetry is one of those things as well that I can kind of claim. And um, yeah, I think I don't feel a lot of, individualization in my life like I but for some reason with poetry it 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 almost kind of it's you know and I I I like being someone who's like highly connected I do think with kind of like poetry I feel very distilled and kind of feel like this sense of it's not even clarity but it is kind of it's um like very kind of ego based like it's something that um it's it's just incredibly like it just feels kind of like this materialization of like all of these things I want for myself and and it's it's very powerful in that way um but yeah with poetry I think I was um I kind of came to writing a little bit late. There was, I like always knew that I wanted to write, but it was this kind of slow process of me really being able to find the language. And I think when I was younger, I like desperately wanted to write and like kind of would cry about it all of the time just because I, I like just couldn't find the words. 
And finally, it kind of clicked for me a little bit, um, probably when I was around 23. And part of that was I, um, I was living in Ireland at the time and went into Dublin, and there was this show um, that was happening at a public library that was about Yeats. And I, I just... Um, I'd heard about automatic writing before, but hadn't really thought about it as pertaining to my own practice. And just was, there was a lot of focus kind of on the women in Yeats's life, um, particularly his wife, Georgie Hadley. And I was just very, um, I just felt very kind of like connected to this this legacy of kind of writing and how writing could be something which was a spiritual channel. Um, but that, but it, it really kind of helped liberate me a little bit in terms of my process because I, um, I think I was, it, it, it just something wasn't connecting and all of a sudden when I kind of began to do it in a more kind of, like that my consciousness wasn't like so involved in it and was really kind of more of this kind of like internal flow that, that things really began to actually kind of come into place. And actually it was like very liberating for me as a person as well. Like I think I was being way too pedantic before then. Why do you think it was about Yates in particular? Um, Honestly, I think it was actually more about kind of the women in Yeats's life. Um, and I think, yeah, because I don't think really Yeats, I mean, I don't think he would be a particularly like noted poet if it wasn't for the women who had kind of shaped him. And, um, yeah, I think that's true for so many different artists. But, um, yeah, I kind of think similarly, like, Georgie Hyde's Lee, for me, kind of coming into contact with the work that she was doing, like particularly around the subconscious. Um, I mean, I think it just it opened something, and I think it kind of opened and maybe opened something in a similar way for for Yeats, because I think. Ireland, when I was living there, I was living in this um, community that was um, in a very rural area of Ireland. It was in County Kildare. And I was working, it was a life-sharing community, and it also kind of had connection to occult practice. It was, um, the community was a like anthroposophical based community. So it was, um, it was a Camp Hill community and it was based on kind of the um, work around development that Rudolf Steiner had, um, like all of his work kind of that Rudolf Steiner had done. And then um, Carl Koenig, who ended up founding this community, um, borrowed and adapted a lot from kind of Steiner's theology. Um, so I was in this space that I was doing kind of a lot of 
physical labor with people who had developmental disabilities. And I think there's, you know, there's something which I think is tremendously healing in doing care work, like particularly kind of like direct service care work where you're actually kind of like working with people's bodies and like people are allowing you to kind of like be with their bodies. And, um, you know, I think that experience Kind of help, I, I just felt really stuck. Like I kind of went over there feeling really stuck and I think I was started to kind of become unstuck. And I don't even know what I was exactly, I think I was, I was like stuck too much in consciousness. I think that was, that's what was going on. But I think this, this experience of kind of working directly with people's bodies and people whose cognitive capacities were different than my own, it just, it, it just it just totally changed what I thought I was capable of and what other people were capable of. And I think kind of like when I ended up going into Dublin and seeing the Yates exhibition, I think it just it kind of solidified how much um, I believe that kind of like spiritual practice is connected to kind of like care work and like, Um, and also to like how care work and spiritual practice needs to be like central in my writing in order for me to write anything. And where were you in your own kind of development or trajectory when you decided to go to Ireland? I, I had, um, I really struggled to get through undergrad and it just like took forever and I was really not not doing particularly well. Um, and I, I just, I think I had spent so much time focusing on myself and kind of my own wellness that I just wanted something that wasn't focused on me. Like I really kind of wanted to be a part of the community structure and I wanted the care that you know, was being performed, it wasn't focused on me, but, but I was just sick of kind of giving care to myself, and I was sick of having other people that I love and I'm close to kind of, like, perform care on me, like, it just was too much, and so I really wanted to go into a community structure and, and just I hope that this is a healing place for me. And it was a lot of things. I do think it was very healing. Because um, I, uh, I mean, it was really actually a fairly remarkable experience. I really had fairly bad OCD at the time that I was going into it. And, um, and I think it was this strange thing that, like, I, I just a lot of these ticks that I had began to kind of disappear out of like necessity in some ways, just because I was always so busy and exhausted. And also too, there was, there's just a lot going on. Like, um, but it was this kind of strange thing of coming out of myself and into the community. Um, and it was just what I needed at the time. And I'm really glad I made that decision. And I also really love Ireland. I think there's 
my family's Irish, um, and I, I've lived there in the past, and I just, I just really like kind of how it feels like the sky and the ground are connected, just because there's always, it's just always so damp. It's like being underwater. It's a beautiful way to describe it. But, yeah, going back, it, it was kind of, it, going back to, like, when you asked where I, I was at, like, when I went to the community, what was kind of interesting is around kind of this anthroposophical idea of development, we were learning a lot about kind of, like, these different stages that people go through, and it's, like, connected to the planet. So, like, initially, it's, like, moon stage, um, and that's like from zero to seven, and it's when psychic forces are kind of working to transform the body. So someone's like both simultaneously kind of a product of their parents, and are also kind of in the early stages of individualization. Um, and like young kids are also thought to be like very tied to the earth, like within an anthropology mindset and then um, like people go I, I think the next one after the moon is mercury and that has to go it has to do with like imagination formation and kind of creating like this other world for yourself and then from 14 to 21 it's going up by sevens is Venus and kind of developing like a higher mind and then there's also kind of more of like an eroticism which is beginning to develop and it's not until Steiner didn't believe that you like came into like your ego wasn't fully formed until you were anywhere from like it, it happened sometime in the 20s but like you really couldn't have a fully formed ego until you were 21 and then from 21 to 42 you're like that's kind of your sun time um, and that's really kind of about, like, consciousness and building sentience for yourself and intellect. And then in later years, it's it's Mars. And that's, that's when you're working to actually kind of make some kind of imprint on the world. But I really like kind of how slow the developmental progression is just because... And that, that's kind of like what poetry is for me. It's something that's very slow. And I feel like I'm in the process with my poetry right now of just trying to create consciousness and kind of build intellect through poetry. And like whatever ends up happening, like I think I'll have more clarity of like what, what that will mean for me, maybe in a larger way, like in many, many years from now. Yeah, and Steiner's way of thinking about the world and his education system is amazing. Um, in the U.S., they call them Waldorf schools, but Waldorf schooling is Steiner schooling and how he's so focused on creativity and, like, not having subjects being separate, but having them, uh, people learn, like, in a more holistic way where you learn many different things at one time or use things more actively uh, creativity and using your body and like constructing the books and all sorts of things. 
Yeah. Well, I, love, I love the fact that there is such a conscious art practice, really kind of an aesthetic practice um, that goes into Waldorf education. Like, even in terms of the buildings that they... Um, construct for the schools it's all very like round and open um and yeah I I saw at the I'm going to like butcher her name but I at the Guggenheim um Hilma of Klimt yes mm-hmm. um I find her name so hard to pronounce, but it, I, I was, it was funny because I didn't know anything about her and was going through the Guggenheim. I was like, this is so Steinery <laughs> in its colors, and then there was a lot of mention to her connection with, with Steiner, um, and and kind of occult practice as well. Um, but yeah, I think. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think there's a there's a lot to be said about kind of um, a connection between color theory and nature and kind of how that helps ground people to space. Um, and I I definitely feel more present in the world when there's. when there's some kind of aesthetic cohesion, like not in an exclusionary way, but just in kind of like a make things beautiful way. What was your experience of Hemlockman's work like? Um, it was, it was amazing. Um, it was amazing, I think, just because it, when it's so revolutionary, like the fact that she would have the foresight to say, don't release this work until at least 20 years after my death. But in some ways, I'm so curious, like what, what would have happened had it been released prior to that? And I don't, I don't know. But I do think it just kind of also goes back to kind of how women's voices are obscured and... You know, I'd, how that continued. I mean, so many people's voices, so many marginalized people have their voices obscured. And it's always, I understand it. And it's also something which is just very painfully sad to me. And I think kind of needs to be actively worked against. And that's why I'm so into community structures as well, like very kind of holistic, inclusive community structures that are aiming to create an environment where people where people really can be nourished and, and feel like they have the capacity for growth. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think seeing her work, I really, I think primarily I was just incredibly inspired like I ended up going home that night and drawing I just got I went into the basement of my building I live in New York and there's always like old cardboard boxes and I like ripped up the cardboard boxes and then took these 
pastels I had and was just kind of drawing and making shapes and like really just having kind of this continuous flow and it was really it was really beautiful and and um and like through that I began thinking a lot about kind of like memory and and kind of ways to resurrect my memory just because I realized through this process of drawing I was like I I don't have a 3D concept of my memory. Like, they're all very flat. And I kind of wanted more of an ability to kind of, like, go in to my memory and make it something that was, a, you know, an actual space and not just an image. So that, that was a good exercise. That's a wonderful thing to think about, like the idea of memories being flat or just an image versus like an experiential, having an experiential quality to them. Yeah, I think it's, I think, um, so I, I sleep really, really deeply and I actually, I kind of sometimes I sleep like a bizarre amount. Like sleep is a really important part of my life. And um, I, I lucid dream and also have like fairly intense sleep, sleep paralysis. And um, I always remember my dreams. And um, like my dreams, I like, it is a sensory experience. Like I'll feel pain and I can like taste things in my dream and smell not so much, but certainly... And I'm hearing things and it's, um, yeah, I'm always kind of struck by like how, how alert my senses are in this kind of sleep space. But my sleep space isn't like when I'm trying to recall a memory, like it is, it is actually a landscape. And a lot of my dreams are constructed around certain memories, obviously, and experiences which I've had and can generally render them pretty accurately. So it's, it's just interesting kind of how I have the capacity to see things in, I think, kind of a multi-dimensional way when I'm in a dream state, but don't have that necessarily so much when I'm waking. Um, but I really, for me, it's really important. I think, like, I, I like having consciousness as much as, I mean, and I, like, even consciousness over kind of, like, subconscious maybe sometimes, which I don't. I, but like I, I find it really important to like have as active of a life in my dream state as I do in my waking state. Mm -hmm. um, and that that was a lot of the the my book Another Life that that was a lot of what was going on in that book that it really was writing about dream state and just kind of this strange transition that kind of I experience daily between kind of like I always feel like it's being underwater and then kind of being pulled to the surface and I really love that book would you mind talking a little bit about it and your process making it yeah so happy that you like that book um yeah it it came it was written fairly quickly and actually it's um What's interesting about it, I've mentioned I kind of got into writing a little bit 
not late, but I think it it was something that I really, I knew it would come to me and I was just waiting for it to come. And another life was really kind of, like, it's, it's hard to explain just because I actually haven't had a similar writing experience since then of just kind of a ability to rapidly produce and, um, and during that time, I, I wrote it fairly quickly, like over a three month period of time, I was laid off from a job, which I really hated. And it was when I work as a social worker now, and it, this was a I had like a little bit of a crisis in terms of not knowing if I wanted to be a social worker. And so this was kind of a brief period of time where I was, I knew I was going to go, go back into social work. So I was like, um, studying to take my licensing exam and was just like looking for work in, um, public sector agencies. But I also was just sleeping a, a lot and, um, would have like very severe lead-in paralysis during the day during sleep um, and just like could not wake up. And I found myself when I, when I would wake up, I really, it was just like such a relief to be awake again, just because sometimes I would think I had died in my dreams. But like, I was like, if I can't wake up, it only means like I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. So for some reason, that kind of state of panic helped me to write because I would write a lot of times after I woke up. And I would also write late at night as well. Um, like I was working just to make some extra cash. I was working at a nightclub and it was an experience I didn't really love just because I don't like loud noises and I don't really like people very much. But I think it was just, it was like so outside of my element and was so, it, I felt so brave doing it in a lot of ways that um, like when I would be on the subway going back home, I like would just write on the subway and it was all, it just felt like it was there. Like I didn't, I didn't really feel like I was, um, like I felt like I was able to articulate kind of what was happening in my life in a way that I haven't been able to articulate before, or I hadn't been able to articulate before. So, um, and it's a very, it's like very personal what I was writing. Um, and it, it has to do a lot, uh, like the book has to do a lot with, um, it has to do a lot with, with dream and waking state. And I think also too, at that time, I was also, um, I'm like very interested in reincarnation and, uh, and kind of also how like reincarnation is linked to dream state. So the book was also somewhat a reflection on that. I think just because I was, it was such a transitional time And I assume death is a very transitional time, like not just the process of dying, but death itself, being dead.
And is that where the title was pulled from? Um, yeah, that was that was where the title was pulled from. There's, yeah, initially it was going to be called Another Lifetime, but I thought Another Life was more concise and sounded better. And what are you working on now? Working on a couple of different things. Um, so I, I'm really interested right now in Ana Cristina Cesar, who's a Brazilian poet. Um, and she died from suicide when she was 31. And I began writing to her um, in some ways, it, like the project started out as kind of it's like an anti-suicide note. Um, it's like a letter to like tell her I wish she hadn't died. Um, and I think it's it's funny just because like I am writing to her, but I'm writing to me. And I think, you know, she's just a little bit older than I am right now. And I think, I think I kind of started writing to her because I began to feel kind of a fear of death in a way that I haven't felt since I was like 12. Um, And I, I don't totally understand, like, why that fear emerged again. I think, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm definitely, like, a depressed person. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I think I, like, whatever, you know, it's funny, I think, just because I work as a social worker and I'm a clinical social worker, so I work with people who... Um, you know, predominantly, like, could be, a, you know, given kind of a diagnosis um, or, like, meet criteria for diagnoses of, you know, anxiety and depression since I do behavioral therapy and I work with a lot of people who are suicidal. And I also think it's just such an interesting thing to think about because, like, you can be so sick from depression and, like, maybe your body's kind of falling apart because you're not taking care of yourself. But in a lot of ways, like, there's still a lot of health in you. And, you know, I, I think it's... I'm just very interested kind of with the fatigue which is attached to depression. And I was very interested in kind of Anna Christina's work because she was so prolific during her lifetime and had so much acclaim... And I think I'm starting to move back from this. But I used to say for a long time, like, poetry saved me. Like, it saved me. Like, I wouldn't, like, it gave me so much. And, like, I don't even want to imagine, like, myself without poetry. Like, I, I just, like, like, poetry is just, it's, um, like, writing and writing poetry. Like, it, it's just... 
the community space it's built, like it, it's it's like magic. Um, and like this magic that I've just kind of desperately been trying to find. And so, yeah, I think I, I just, I was so interested, like, why didn't poetry save you, you know, Christina? Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a project that I feel a little bit, um, you know, I'm a white American and, um, I actually don't really know very much about Anna Christina's background just cause she hasn't been, she was only translated recently. Um, and I've been doing a little bit of, I don't speak Brazilian Portuguese, but I've been doing a little bit of independent translation. Um, and it's, just because I don't speak Portuguese, it's been very difficult to find a lot of background. Um, and from what I've found, it seems like she was a queer woman um, and she had a lot of um, connection to England. And I'm not sure if her, her family was English in some capacity or if I, I don't really understand like how like how she was in terms of kind of the diaspora in Brazil and kind of what her her family background was, but um, you know, it's strange to kind of write write this thing to someone where I'm, I'm I really I don't want it to be seen as me taking advantage or kind of blame over someone's death. Like it's really not what I'm trying to write towards. Like I I think I just um, like, I'm just so ca captivated by, like, why, like, what happened? Like, I just really want to know what happened. And, like, I think that's kind of why I'm writing with her or writing to her. So I'm working on that project, and um, you know, hopefully hopefully that will find a space to live at some point. Um, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting um, to me, this project. Um, and I, a little excerpt from this, um, a little excerpt from, from the manuscript is going to be published, I think, in March. Um, and I also did a corresponding interview with he now um, where she was just asking me a little bit about the project. And V was, V's been very instrumental. She's been kind of like a mentor to me in a lot of ways. So it's really good to have that conversation with her. So I'm, I'm working on that project. And then I have another project entitled Glass Animals, which is, um, it's centered on being witness to animal trauma. But I'm kind of struggling with that just because um, I don't want it to be exploitive of animals. I just really love animals and I just feel like I've witnessed like a strange amount of animal suffering. <laughs> like I seem to like attract, like it's very odd. Like I really do, like I, there was like a pigeon I like ended up having to be euthanized, but like I just am constantly finding like hurt birds or like a bird flew into my house and died. And I used to live in Michigan. I just constantly was finding like dogs and cats and just like all these animals and um 
I don't know. I feel like I have that a little bit with humans too. Um, and maybe I'm just looking for it, but yeah, I just want to kind of write about the experience of like witnessing animal pain and kind of what, what that is. Um, but I'm really, I'm struggling with that and having kind of a hard time with it. And the other project I'm working on is there's, I always mispronounce her name. Um, it's, I have a, the saint's card of Saint, I guess it's Dimphna. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm writing, I'm writing about that and I'm kind of relate, writing about um, her in relationship to my work as a, as a clinical social worker and, and care laborer. Um, and she said to be the patron saint of like mental health care workers yeah 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 and she also is attached to like depression and incest and had a very interesting life and and her legacy does live on in in various ways so that's a newer project um and So I feel like I'm working on numerous things right now, and a lot of ways are all like fairly connected. I just I'm not always the best organ- with organizations. I'm just trying to kind of group a little bit, kind of what I've been thinking about, just so I can kind of clarify it through writing. It's funny just because I'm a behavioral therapist. I always I always kind of like you have to like write yourself behaviorally before you can do like more explicit talk therapy, and I'm not sure if that's true. It's just like. It is funny. I just I feel like I've kind of finally reached a time in my own life that I, you know, been such a, you know, I love I love dialectical behavioral therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's the therapy I do. But you know, it's also it is so kind of grounded in the day to day, and um, yeah, it's just it's kind of good to make these connections with you, but. I don't necessarily allow myself to make with other people. Just talking about things I'm interested in. Yeah, and that's why I always say, like, to me it's a shame. Like, when I went to graduate school, I didn't realize that I was going to a more, like, CBT grad school program. I learned, of course, about, you know, Freud and psychoanalysis and then, like, Skinner and Pavlov and the behaviorists. And I learned about all of these different things in undergrad. But to me, it's like, to me, it seemed clear that all of these different modalities of working address, address different aspects of, like, human life <laughs> and human behavior and that they can all be useful in their own way at different times or in different ways for different people. So I didn't even realize that the field was so divided when I started graduate school that I would be entering a program and then I was like, wait, where's Freud? You know? <laughs> and then I had to, like, seek him out. But I'm glad that I was able to kind of get the experience of all these different kinds of training um, because, you know, if I have a patient, even if they're coming in for analysis, they're having panic attacks and I know breathing exercises that can help manage those symptoms, why would I Why would I not give those to them? You know, why would I withhold that information? So I feel like a combination of, like, the talk therapy or looking at childhood and old patterns with kind of psychoeducation and, and more, like, 
explicit skills like stress management helps, you know? Totally. And I think one thing that I'm always so curious, I'm like so interested in in some ways is like, I'm not a particularly academic person. <laughs> like, um, it's just interesting for me because care work and care labor is something which is just so instinctual and intuitive. And like, I, I've, I've gone through a lot of schooling. Like I've gone to various institutes to get supplemental postgraduate training. Um, and it's funny though, cause it's, you can't, like there is something very undefinable and spiritual about creating an environment which is healing or giving. I mean, for me, I really like, I see myself as someone who's just trying to promote like belief in life and like belief in healing and like, you know, cause really at least I, I might hold this, I guess, true for myself and doesn't need to be true for everyone else. But I mean, I really do think a lot of living is kind of at least I think there are many other components, but I do think it's also learning how to kind of tolerate discomfort. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I do think I'm totally with you. I think like kind of combined modalities and then also just like kind of a, you know, that kind of like spiritual, just like heart quality that you can bring into care work is really important. And I think there is a there is an intuitive sense, like you said, about the work that can't really be taught. You know, you can give people tools um, as therapists, as people going into the field of like different ways in which they can work. But I feel like most people have an intuitive way. Like there was a reason that we went into the field in the first place. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a conversation with poet and therapist Katie Ebbett. For more, check out her chapbook, Another Life, from Counterpath Press, and our publisher's website, trapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net.
with choice, investigation of what is at this knowledge folds in on of the working and see what needs to be done further.